This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, and this is London FinTech Podcast, episode 183 brought to you in association with Smart Pension and the EnlistedBoard.com. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Simon Jones, Chief Customer Officer at ClearBank, to talk about how to do banking partnerships well. In the early days of fintech, putting its head above the parapet back in something like 2014 in terms of public awareness or mainstream news, the main narrative was about, roughly speaking, how banks were completely rubbish and how fintech was brilliant and would completely replace them. As I pointed out repeatedly until I got bored, this would never happen, as it fundamentally misunderstands the F in FS. F being about money, and money, apart from a tiny amount, paper coins in our pockets, is bits in bank computers. If fintech had destroyed banks, it would have also destroyed FS and its own business. No banks, no money. After a while, Uber hype calmed down. Some fintechs even became banks, most notably Zopa, who invented, quote unquote, P2P in 2005. And Roughly speaking, all fintechs realise that in FS, the model was, is, and always will be, I suspect, compete, cooperate. At which point, it's simply a question for your fintech of how hard can it be to partner with a bank and get the banking services you need? Well, judging by results for some prominent fintechs, pretty hard. And failures can be costly, not just in money, but also brand slash reputation terms, which takes much longer to recover for. More generally, the answer is, like most things in FS or life, harder than it appears. Doing this well is a key success factor. Going back to ClearBank, as we heard from its founder, Nick Ogden, back in 2017, ClearBank are the first new UK clearing bank, which, for those not familiar with the term, we can roughly equate to wholesale transaction banking on the block in the last couple of centuries. Since when, they've only gone from strength to strength, and as such, being the only digital-first UK clearing bank can certainly guide us all on how to do banking partnerships well and how, at times, they are done badly so we can all avoid that. Plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. Good morning, Simon. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Morning, Mike. Really great to be on the show with you today. Yes, and I suspect you're very pleased to actually to have got to the show bit because you very kindly... I was going to say volunteered, but actually I, I volunteered you to, to listen to my diatribe about what's going on in the UK, me having not looked at the news for a couple of weeks and then caught up on the, uh, on the G7 with their public photos, all socially distanced and masked and hazmat suited, and then later all backslapping and giggling amongst themselves as they fly around in pirate jets and don't bother quarantining like the rest of us. And then I'm recording in batches these days, but as, as we record, yesterday the government said they want four more weeks to flatten the curve or, or flatten the economy or, or flatten something. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fortunately, you having a large bottle of sort of Valium on your desk, we've, we've moved on, on from that topic and, and spared all the listeners my pains. Yeah. Um, so anyway, in terms of life in the, the, the UK, even Theresa May pointed out, hellishly more difficult to go on holiday now than it was a, a year ago. Some people are dribbling very slowly back into the office. So where are you in terms of uh, your location? Are you still just sort of sitting in your study day in, day out, week in, week, week out? Or, or are you sometimes going for a 
planning uh, to go for a little bit of a sort of holiday or a break or even back to the, um, I think office was the word, wasn't it? Office, was that what it was? Yes. No, Mike, we're, uh, you know, continuing to be remote first, but I have to say that the G7 offsite, uh, we had one of those ourselves last week as well, and we're planning to do another one next week as well. So we are getting a bit of uh, a bit of being able to get together and, uh, you know, it, it's very welcome and, you uh, makes such a difference you know working with with colleagues in person versus uh, over video it's amazing uh, what what you what what, it, what going back to uh, brings back memories <laughs> yes indeed and um, what about holidays are you waiting for 5000 weeks to flatten the curve and and then shooting off to sort of spain or thailand or, or are you going to sort of go to abergavenny or somewhere I would love to go to a Spain or Thailand. That's uh, very good choices. But I think we've just, uh, you know, given up last year and I've continued to give up so far this year. So, uh, you know, a, a staycation, uh, a, a home a holiday in the UK in Devon is what is planned for uh, next month. So I think that's probably the safer option, but uh, can't wait to be able to finally go abroad again. Yes, indeed. Well, I think we can all give thanks that we're in the uh, FS world, where, amongst other things, they're printing lots more Fs uh, in terms of money in, in, the, in the system. And uh, we can um, extend much empathy to our brothers and sisters in the uh, travel industry and also the hospitality industry, where 25% of UK pubs still haven't opened and, and won't be opening next week. So it's a very uneven world. So uh, let's put that world to, to, to one side and uh, go back uh, into the silo that is FS. So... Your chief customer officer, when I were a lad, no doubt when you started your career, that didn't exist. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how your career started and, and, and how you've become the chief customer officer uh, and what that phrase, which seems to mean different things in different places, means. I actually started my career as a corporate treasurer on the uh, buying services from banks and uh, and being a, a treasurer of a UK and an, an American company then joined the banking industry and uh, joined the banking industry actually in Asia Pacific and spent uh, a long time out in Asia building uh, transaction banking businesses with JP Morgan and I and I led the region um, for transaction banking for JP Morgan for many years that must have involved quite a bit of travelling actually because people it talk about did. Asia and wave their hands but i mean people i know who live out there and and, and travel around, find that it's a hell of a place. I mean, I, I, I had a chap that used to work for me who lived in Singapore and, and he had a gig in Korea. So he used to commute to Korea every week, which is quite a long way. It is, absolutely. It's a very big region, 14 countries as, uh, as I had uh, as part of the territory. I was based in Singapore for 10 years and then Hong Kong for five. And you're right, uh, you know, you spend an awful lot of time on a plane and they're pretty long, uh, they're pretty long trips when you go down to New Zealand or Australia, up to Korea and Japan. These are all, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, ten, fourteen-hour flights. You know, uh, it is a vast region, but fascinating. And seeing countries like China, um, from when I first started doing business there, develop to, you know, to where they are now um, has been fa- was absolutely fascinating. Vietnam. India, to name a few of them, one and, and how fast they've developed. I think China has to be certainly the, the the one that was a standout for me as to how different it was from a very sort of a, um, you know just opening up from communism perspective, from a business perspective, really really not uh, not being in a Western business world at all, to being you know highly sophisticated and uh, highly successful in, in the business world from from uh, my last my last uh, trips there. So fa- absolutely fascinating region, um, built businesses fast, great to work in such a diverse, um, diverse community as well from the Australian New Zealand, which are, which, are, you know, very much business like uh, Europe, 
to, uh, you know, China, Korea, Japan, um, you know, India being all very, very different um, and, and fascinating. And, and uh, I absolutely loved it from that perspective. I then returned um, to the UK. Or what was quite ironic is, is uh, I worked for JP Morgan in Asia and then JP Morgan in, uh, in, the, in, in Europe, in EMEA. Coming back to the UK with JP Morgan, I hadn't actually worked for them in the UK. So coming back was, was quite interesting from, uh, from that perspective. I then spent, you know, running a large part of transaction banking for them in the EMEA region. And once again, was covering developed markets with the UK and, and Western Europe, but also uh, opening up South Africa, Russia, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, a, a number of those uh, those those more challenging markets as well. So that certainly kept me uh, kept me back into my emerging markets background. <laughs> wow! And so I can see when we were talking before, and I was getting through a box of Kleenex as I floods of tears <coughs> over not travelling. Why you didn't have a box of Kleenex yourself? Because <laughs> you, you you've done your five trillion air miles, and it's a uh, it's quite a holiday for you not not to... not to have to go on an aeroplane. Exactly, Mike. It makes a bit, makes a big difference. But uh, after that, I um I, I did a lot of work within JP Morgan also around understanding what was happening in fintech. And JP Morgan actually has a large merchant acquiring business, which actually services a, a huge amount of big tech firms in in collecting payments. Even before fintech was really uh, was really a word or a concept. So I um, I did a lot of work in the industry and I saw the huge potential and um, uh, decided to uh, to you know go into the world of fintech and became an advisor and a mentor to a number of companies and made some of my own investments in those companies as well and uh, as you say the rest became history I then joined uh, joined Clearbank ah interesting so maybe there's two vocabulary things we can cover one of the problems with FS as you know is it's so siloed and uh, in my incarnation especially doing the pub prep calls with people. I think the worst people are the um, trade finance and supply chain financy people, uh, or them in payments. They, they, they live in such sort of uh, complex vocabulary world. And <laughs> it makes so much sense to them. And, and it seems like that they don't get out much in the metaphorical sense in terms of meeting people outside their silo. But you use two phrases, which I think it'll be quite helpful to explain to the average listener who may be in a different silo, they may be in trade finance and they may sort of wonder what, he, what he's talking about or payments or, or, or something like that. So the two phrases are, the first one's quite important, the second one is just the, the one I mentioned before, transaction banking. You mentioned transaction banking. So maybe you could explain for the innocent bystander or the poor sod who's listening to this who hasn't actually worked in FS, what transaction banking means, what, it, what sort of kind of things it covers in, in simple layman's terms, as well as the um, chief customer officer. I mean, is that sort of, you know, a CMO or how does that work? Very happy to Mike. So you know, transaction banking or cash management, as it used to be known as as well, is really the very much the vanilla side of banking, the ability to provide bank accounts for customers, be able to make payments for customers, um, and really provide the infrastructure that is the foundation to support a financial services product out there in the market. Large banks around the world have, have become global powerhouses, I would say, in, in providing cash management and transaction banking and payment services to other financial services companies and corporates and, and small businesses uh, uh, as well. And in the UK, you have you know four large uh, large banks, which are, are known as clearing banks, so the high street banks as well. 
that are um, you know are, are large are large transaction banks uh, in, in their own right in the UK market. And then the UK market is very much also called a, a clearing bank is a sort of common UK UK saying, but it's basically the same thing. So banks that provide the infrastructure, the bank accounts, the link to the payment systems for other financial services firms and corporates uh, uh, and businesses. From a perspective of my role, Chief Customer Officer is a, certainly a newer term. Chief Commercial Officer is a similar similar sort of term as well. In my uh, older, older, older days of in banking, I, it would really would have been head of sales, head of product management, um, or head of products. That would have been, um, you know, the the the, the type of n- nomenclature for this type of a role. Right. Okay. Good. So it sounds like you have quite some background in this area, and I generally like to start with a bit of background and history. But maybe we're going to have to sort of quite rapidly move over the say the past thirty. 30 years um, of this uh, sector, but just to set up the context for partnering with banks today, maybe you'd like to give a a little bit of a sort of short sketch of, of how it kind of worked back in the day. In your introduction, Mike, you you, you hit upon a, a, a really really good point, which is partnering in financial services on a you know particularly on a global basis has been a key way of working in the industry for you know decades uh, you know decades and and, and and you know and it was very much a, a, a way of working. And, you know, the focus around that is that not all financial services firm can be good at everything. There are certain markets, there are certain customer segments, there are certain products that they might be very good at. But if you want to deliver a broader service to your customers, then you need to partner with somebody to be able to deliver that in the most efficient way. Financial services is such a broad industry, as we all know, there are so many products and services Fintech is very exciting because we're bringing new products and services to the market. Not all of us can be great at everything. And that is what, uh, you know, ClearBank was, was, was created to do, was to really to focus on being the infrastructure for payments, connecting, helping financial services firms connect to the payment systems in the UK and be that, uh, uh, you know, be that very modern transactional bank for financial services players. The ability to partner with those uh, with those players in the um, uh, in the last 20, 30 years, one of the key technology aspects that allowed people to partner very well was the connectivity that they had through the SWIFT network. And the SWIFT network was really a glue. This is a, a messaging network even before the internet was uh, was evolved to link banks together to allow them to process transactions between each other and partner really strongly. And SWIFT is a great technology, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, et cetera, and continues to be widely used in the industry and and the de facto standard in the industry. But the reality is that technology has also moved on and technology has evolved to such a point, particularly with cloud-based technology and APIs, that the way that you can partner from a technological perspective can be much simpler much more flexible than any of us even imagined even 10 years ago going forward. An analogy I'd like to sort of just put to is that, you know, when you book an Uber and it integrates with Maps on Uber and it integrates with your payments, uh, with your payment platform where you don't even need to do anything, it's all automated. That is all being driven by APIs. 
And the reality is that that can happen, you know, not only with card payments in an Uber app, but across all payment types. And I think what is the key thing to being able to partner really well is is to make sure that your partners are able to fluently interact with each other in an API native way that makes that interactions rich, simple, um, and, and, and highly effective. Yes, okay, well, it seems like quite a good point to move on to, which is that if you're a kind of Asperger's-y uh, dev who, who likes wearing headphones the whole day and, and, and staring at your computer, you, you, you might feel that the FS world will be fine and perfect and, and, and dandy when it's just APIs talking to APIs, and, and maybe one day it is, but in terms of how hard, hard can it be, certainly history has shown that actually you need a fin bit, you need a sort of a Absolutely. you need legal agreements, you need a whole bunch of... Correct. Context to all that kind of stuff, and we've covered it many times on the show before in the in the ton- context of cards, you know, credit cards or payment cards or whatever. It's not just the sort of electrons flowing around sort of little yep. wires very effectively or bouncing off satellites. There's, there's a whole bunch of sort of, hang on, I've just been ripped off. How do I get my money back? And, uh, you know, there's sort of almost so- sociology around it. But just one thing that uh, makes me reflect on a point that I'm... I'd made before, having mentioned uh, Zopa and having mentioned uh, casting pearls before swine in, in the past, was that one of the, the points that, that um, occurs to me, and it stands out a bit more, which is that people of our generation who started in FS some time ago started in a system that was deeply interconnected, interconnected and would not have worked without the interconnection. So you mentioned the sort of treasury cash type functions. The one thing that makes banks function is the end-to-bank market. So broadly speaking, a bank might have too much or too little, by which means you can actually have negative cash on one day, but another bank might have another. So the interbank market means all, you know, all the banks cooperate yep. in a kind of something like a, a, a molecule, and the molecule is far better than the individual. But then it occurs to me that the sort of the zeitgeist of whatever it was, the millennials or whoever they are, I don't like this identitarianism, but never mind, it's an American thing. Millennials that sort of set up their fintechs, they, society's been massively more atomized since we started work. And therefore, the early fintechs all sort of cropped up just as an atom, as it were, they cropped up as an atom. So you had all these P2Ps. And I did write some article quite some time ago saying that actually this is probably going to fail and, and P2P hasn't really in the UK uh, taken off um, that massively. Yeah. As per original expectations, it did really well, but then it sort of leveled out quite a lot. And one of the things was they lacked an into P2P market. You've always got too many buyers or sellers, roughly speaking, but actually the whole market has got the same number of buyers and sellers. So this interconnection thing, if we could rewind history, is quite a deep point that wasn't appreciated along with the let's yep. banks because banks are banks are rubbish without realising the banks are the things that create money without banks that there is there's no money. So this, this interconnection, I think, was deeply misunderstood uh, and perhaps of sociological reasons at the beginning of fintech. I think we're now at the point, I mean, in terms of those people who want to do a deep dive into how to do partnerships well, if you've got a, a, a partnership that you're looking at uh, coming up, then I also recommend L- LFP 154, successful partnering in fintech with John Dewar, CEO of GPS, uh, talking about partnering with, with payments there. But I think we're at a stage now where later rather than sooner. Fintechs have realised that, uh, of course, you cannot survive as an atom. You have to be a, a, a molecule. And you, in, this, in this context, mixing my metaphors slightly, you know, your atom may have to bond to all sorts of uh, existing partners in FS. So let's just cover, and I think the audience know this quite well, so don't need to cover it in detail. Let's cover this fin versus tech part. So you mentioned APIs. APIs are terribly important. It's the technology of the day. Everybody uses them. But there is this sort of fin bit, which you can't ever a- APIs. I would say. Agreed. Yeah. Extremely important point. So vision for creating ClearBank was not only to have the brand new tech 
and the API fluency and, and, and cloud, et cetera, platform, but also the regulatory setup to make it very strong in the fin part um, from a regulatory uh, governance perspective. So ClearBank is a fully regulated uh, PRA, uh, FCA regulated bank in the UK. We have reserve accounts at the Bank of England. All money is safeguarded for our financial services partners um, at, on those accounts at, at the Bank of England. Um, and uh, it, it provides you know, a very safe mechanism to provide that safety and security that I think is an extremely important trust component in the fin part of fintech. So don't just think of us as the infrastructure for the bits and bytes, as you say, and the technology pieces of it, but also from the uh, regulatory component of it and governance to you know give our customers, customers that security that their money's safe in, bank, in accounts at the Bank of England with ClearBank. And therefore, uh, it is very similar to uh, how they would deal with you know any other high street bank in the previous uh, previous working model. So I think that trust component and security is a vital component, uh, even in the payments industry, but but in the financial services industry overall. Right. Good. Okay. So let's just take a simple model, a simple case study. So if I'm a fintech and I decide I need new banking partnerships or, or, or banking facilities, or I'm not happy with the current one, then I'll look at a long list of who could provide stuff. I'll do a short list. I'll, I'll do a beauty parade. There's a whole customer journey for, to me making a decision. And then I have to integrate uh, with a new partner. Um, and just following on from that fin and tech part, presumably when I'm beauty parading, shall we say three or four potential banking partners, I will be assessing them on the sort of the various dimensions of fin as well as the various dimensions of, of, of tech and and scoring them. But as you've seen this for, for, for quite some time, just using the, the beauty parade little sketch on the, on the whiteboard, what would you say is the most important lessons that you've learned that you'd like to pass on to fintechs about how they can make that more effective in terms of coming up with the right answer for them? I think a lot of the, the fin components, the regulatory setup, um, the risk management for the fintech to go through their governance process is very much done in the traditional, you know, beauty parade RFP type of process where you rank rank on various different components. But I think you you touched upon it a little earlier, Mike, from the technology component, the technology piece of it. Getting the technology engineers involved in that beauty parade and understanding how that connectivity can work and what that unlocks for the fintech in being able to create their own products and services. I think is a really important component and certainly something that in the last five years I've become to appreciate. So no longer, for example, are the customers uh, that that we are supporting within within our partners and our clients, you know, just the treasurer or the chief operating officer, but the chief engineer the actual uh, engineers and software developers are equally an important influencer and component around that that beauty parade. So getting them involved in, in the process as early as possible. What we see is that when you get those engineers involved early in the process, what everyone thinks you're going to buy a service for becomes, wow, if you can do that, well, I could also do that, that and that, which I had not even thought about was possible in my previous business model. So the ability I find really exciting is to 
not only work with customers, but to help customers develop new products and new ideas that they want to bring to market as well. And I think that that's what's really exciting. Yes, it's a point well made. It's not just the traditional beauty parade, although a modern version of that process. Is, and it's not just a question that, oh, OK, no longer it's just the FDA and the treasurer. Oh, you need to bring the CTO along. You remind me of Tony Clark from Next Wave, who was on the show a little while ago, started at Accenture, Anderson, something like that, and has got decades in consulting and, and, and works with tier one banks. And, that. and he was saying that the, the challenge for banks, uh, rather than fintechs, because banks tend to be a bit bigger than fintechs and more complex, is that, uh, as you say, it, it's not just a question anymore of, oh, how do I make this process happen? And how do I tick all the boxes? It utterly can transform one's understanding of the kind of products you can offer in the first place. So the traditional beauty parade might be that you know the London FinTech podcast wants to sell London FinTech podcast hoodies around the world. So I need some way of receiving money in Cambodia, in Australia, in New Zealand uh, without flying there and, and collecting it because it's quite hard to fly there and collect my sort of 15 bucks for the hoodie. Actually, I think <laughs> 35 bucks because they're pretty quality hoodies. So a traditional beauty parade process has a bunch of requirements at the beginning and, and you, you just basically find out who, who, who can meet them best. Perhaps a little bit like getting married, although hopefully people don't use spreadsheets for that uh, purpose and <laughs> no. score, them, score them out of 10. And hopefully they don't conduct all the interviews in, in parallel, but that's another topic for another day. But in this case, it, it, as you say, there's a very kind of circular process going on here, which is that one result of doing a beauty parade might be to actually change the, your original requirements of what you thought you could have or might have or what was possible in the first place. Yep. So it's no longer just this, it's no longer like a, a stream that flows downhill. You know, you've got your bunch of requirements, it flows downhill and there's a pond at the bottom of it and the stream's gone where it's gone. So how do people cope with this sort of circular nature that in the conversations with, for the sake of argument, Clearbank, that I might go, Oh, yeah. Now, I, I know my RFP or whatever the sort of bureaucratic thing might be said this, but, but actually I, I'd quite like the ability to, uh, oh, I don't know, have a summer party or something, because actually I think that can sort of spin off it. It's it, it almost like you have to iterate and go around a circle, even on the beauty parade. And that's very much the, the way of working in, in a fintech is that you ha you know, you're, you're, you're brought up from a technology perspective to be in a very agile culture and to iterate and to test to fail fast, to come up with ideas. And I think, you know, that is very much what we see, uh, you know, our, our fintech partners and our fintech customers wanting to do with us. You go through the typical RFP type of questions and the beauty parade questions, but the really important part is to be able to understand each other's technologies, understand each other's potential and start to test ideas out um, uh, and solutions out that you may never have imagined before. And I think that's the sort of rhythm that you get into in a fintech is really understanding that agile way of working, that way of testing fast, failing fast. If it's successful, building up and scaling that is very much the new mindset. And, and that is what we, we see in the way that customers interact with us through a beauty parade type process. And I think that really differentiates us, you know, from uh, our competitors in the market, because there are very few that are able to do that. So one thing that occurs to me as a parallel is that uh, 
back in our day when we went for a job decades ago, you'd chat to them and try and be nice. And if you were lucky, they'd say, oh, that's okay. You've got a job kind of thing. Thank you very much. These days, if you're a techie and go for a job, curiously, chatting isn't good enough. And, and a number of them will sort of make you do some function to find the first 5 million prime numbers in 15 milliseconds or, or something <laughs> like that. They will, actually, they will actually test out the abilities. So it occurs to me that rather than the traditional RFP process where you end up with, ah, we're going to partner with Bank X, that actually one of the processes you could do, going back to sort of dating and... Um, dating and, and mating is to have a little bit of a sort of a, a, a trial run with, shall we say, two or three, which is that, yeah. um, you know, I could Im- Im- imagine from first principles a, a process where I've started with a long list, I've got a short list, and my short list is narrowed down to sort of two or three. And then I want to, for the next month, I actually want to try and connect your APIs, build your little Lego boxes, connect to JP Morgan's, build JP Morgan's, and, and actually just see what it actually, what the, the beginning of the post-decision process turns out. I mean, yep. metaphorical equivalent of, okay, next month I'm going to go on three trial honeymoons with three potential brides yep. or spouses uh, uh, or whatever. And at the end of the month, then I'll be, I'll, I'll know much more what, it, what I should be doing. Yeah. And I think that very much does happen in the industry now. We see that with new fintechs, you know, using us and other partners and, and, and iterating and developing their product and services. And then narrowing that down as they start to scale. But I also think you see it on the other side of, uh, of the industry as well, Mike, and, when, and the large banks that have been using traditional clearing banks in the past that have been connected via SWIFT um, in a traditional sense and have been for, you know, 10 to 20, 30 years back over the last, you know, that, that, that sort of time frame. As they're starting to modernize their technology platforms, they are realizing that, they are restricted and limited by those connections to the traditional clearing banks. And what we're starting to see is that they want to, with their new platform that they've implemented themselves, let's say on the cloud, as a core banking platform that may be launching a new service that is part of the overall bank brand, for example, or financial services brand. But the traditional way of connecting is not going to work in a faster faster and an API fluent way and therefore, they will use somebody like a ClearBank for that new product and service with a view to if that's successful, then rolling that out and, you know, more broadly uh, across the bank. So I think you're absolutely right. There is much more iterating and testing going on in the industry, but not only in the fintech side of the industry, but even in the traditional side of the industry as the industry is replatforming to compete with the fintechs going forward. And I think, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot more collaboration in that side as banks and other financial services firm launch and bring new products into the market, um, you know, to compete with uh, to compete with fintechs and uh, provide those uh, those new services at a new scale. Yes. And hearing you talk about the and you mentioned sort of the agile thing of words been going around for some time, iterating and testing. and These things are fine and very good and all 21st century. But one thing that occurs to me that's always been a, a challenge for banks, I mean, given that I've done a, a few turnaround projects have failed projects in the last couple of decades in the 21st century. But I've also heard the similar issue in fintechs, which is that all this is good. However, the traditional organogram, going back to things like CCO or CRO or CTO, the traditional organogram still looks like sort of what the um, Roman army might have had donkeys years ago. It's like a, a square at the top and then there's a line below that with a bunch of squares and there's blah, 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 blah. So in, in terms of just very, very briefly, in terms of projects I've turned around in, in mega banks, a lot of the issue there has been that one box, 
one silo isn't talking to the other particularly well. And, and, and generally, it's the business versus tech or the front office versus back office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously, it's a, it's a challenge. And I've, I've heard stories like this. It's a challenge within fintechs as well, because for all they say we're 21st century, et cetera, et cetera, there still is an organogram, even if they try and make it flatter, even if they try and make it a bit more bottom up and all that kind of stuff. If only because different people have different mentalities. I mean, the compliance department will have a different mentality from the marketing department, from the tech department. So how do you see any way of, of softening that problem within the fintechs of getting different lines in the organogram to be less solid, as it were, and more mutually understanding? Because if they're trying to cooperate within and do all this iterative stuff now between the, the, the marketing guys and the sale guys and the product guys and the tech guys, yeah, sure, that's easy in, in principle. But in practice, getting human beings to, for the sake of argument, win the Football League or the FA Cup is harder than it appears. And very few people win the FA Cup every year. Off the top of my head, it's one. Yeah, it's very difficult. Uh, absolutely. And when you're a fintech and you start very, very small, where the engineers, the finance team, the sales team, the product team you know, will, will work extremely closely together because that might be one or two people. It makes it very easy. But I, I'm with you, Mike, as, it, as you grow and as you get uh, you know, uh, bigger and as financial services governance, which is incredibly important to be as part of being a regulated entity, you can get into that silo mentality quite easily. But once again, I think the collaborative culture that most fintechs are working under, I think will help make that very different to what it was in large banks and organizations. And I think in large banks and other financial services firms, part of the reason why that they're doing a new project, you know, a new product in a, a slightly different team is to try and energize that team into creating that collaborative spirit across functions to enable that new service or that new product to be delivered in a different way than they have traditionally delivered, you know, sequentially a normal product development that those those organizations would have happened. So I think it can be balanced between the governance aspects, but uh, it is it is a challenge to not to be not to fall into that trap of the silos that governance will cause. But making sure that the culture in the organization allows that cross-functional collaboration, that cross-functional thinking that way of working, we talk about things like sprint reviews, we talk about scrum teams, you know, these are very different organisational setups than certainly I was used to uh, in my traditional banking career. And I think that that is, um, that is the way to be able to deliver things quickly. But also, as you rightly say, in the right go governance and regulatory context, because, you know, we're, we're all, um, you know, re heavily regulated financial services companies. Yes, it occurs to me I should do one on, on, on management challenges of the 21st century with, within fintechs. I mean, I agree with everything you say, of course. But I just note the proviso that let's just keep it simple. All these technologies are quotes better. Let's just, just say that for the, for the sake of argument. All these ways of working are quotes better. Let's say that for the sake of argument. Nothing is 100% black or white, of course. However, but that doesn't really matter because it's the old question that if a tiger is chasing you, you don't have to outrun the tiger. You just have to run your mate next to you. So if all the fintechs are using these modern, better ways of operating, that does not make them better because they've got to outrun each other. Yeah. So there's still a comparative game going on there. Now, were I to be a professional podcaster one day, 
<laughs> might all, all be lucky. I might have done things in the right order. So, uh, but just to wrap up with, rather than lead in with, you guys did a little bit of research recently um, around challenges and around the fact that people find uh, difficulties. Uh, and just to be unconventional, let's let's end with that to give a scale idea of the scale of it. If I was more hypey clickbaity, I would have started the show with you know recent research shows five thousand and forty seven percent of people find difficulty with banking partnerships. Therefore, listen now. But let's let's do it the other way around and, and be British and just end up with oh yes, and this is actually quite important. And our research shows uh, and also maybe where our listeners can get your research from. We've done a recent survey across fintechs uh, in the UK and across Europe and uh, asked for their experiences in partnering with clearing and transactional banks um, to support their businesses. And the findings have been uh, have been pretty interesting where um, you know, 30% are, are not getting the, the types of services that they need to grow their business. A fairly large percentage have also experienced outages with the technology from their partner bank that have actually caused them to have uh, some regulatory challenges in their business. So it really shows the importance of how having a really strong partner bank with excellent technology um, and the the, the regulatory uh, licenses to support their business is really important for fintechs to allow them to grow their, their their products and services scale up and uh, you know create new services there 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 in the market the report's available on our website to download and i encourage people to to have a look at it and see the uh, you know pretty interesting findings that have come out from it. Good. Uh, I shall include a link in the show notes. Uh, and and for those people who will just sort of google it straight away what's the the research called Simon for people to Google ClearBank. It is very clearly on our website. If you just go into ClearBank and look at uh, the news section and you'll see our, uh, our FinTech report. Excellent. Okay, so before we wrap up the show, I'd like to thank all listeners out there. I hope you're in better countries than the U- UK. And my brand partners of the podcast, Smart, it's transforming pensions and retirement worldwide. Their leading edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and JP Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co, then listedboard.com, resources to help you start making your board an engine of growth today. So you've been very kind, Simon, and given us an overview of the topic. I mean, ClearBank's got mentioned once or twice, but just pretty roughly in, in terms of being new and, and, and good at what it does. And, and obviously it is, otherwise it, four years later, you guys wouldn't be here and, and growing well. But maybe you can give uh, the listeners some shout outs to the kind of things that you need to make you even bigger and better and some little idea of your future plans and, and, and where ClearBank expects to be going in the next few years. We are very excited about the growth that we've we've had and you know we are continuing to expand the number of customers for that regulated financial institutions that we support in the UK, not only for our sterling payment services, but increasingly our international payment services, um, you know, from the UK, supporting uh, in up to 25 currencies, um, you know, for those uh, those financial services firm, leveraging our great technology platform, not only then for, for sterling, but for these uh, additional currencies as well. I think the ambitions of the bank is to uh, go into other markets uh, over time. The natural place would be Europe, um, seeing as we're now not part of Europe or slightly different to, to not being in Europe. But naturally, a lot of what ClearBank does to support regulated financial institutions is, is absolutely applicable in the, in the European market and is certainly part of our, our, our ambitions in the future. And in the payments and transaction banking world, the next key currency in the world is the US dollar. So we will be supporting US dollars for our customers on our multi-currency platform. But naturally, again, 
um, you know, potentially after Europe, there will be opportunities in the US market as well, a um, market that I'm very familiar with. And, uh, you know, eventually over time, it, it would be a natural place for us to, to grow with our clients. And I think that's what's exciting is that the clients that we support now really want us to go to these uh, additional markets over time. So we're very focused on delivering our full full capabilities in the UK, including the multi-currency and our FX propositions, and then moving into other markets over time. And I think there is a, you know, a great future for Clear Banker and our partners uh, in those markets. Great. Well, thank you very much for that, Simon. Obviously, I'm very excited about the whole sort of fintech story otherwise wouldn't have been doing this for seven years and it's great seeing all these new companies and innovations come along a lot of them are like um, stalagmites which grow from the floor and might grow to the ceiling that's the way I remember that um, but it's quite nice in a sense to see one that's also a bit like stalactites because tights fall down but that's another story uh, which come, come from the top down in, in that a lot of small fintechs start small and humble and a few of them get bigger and better and a few of them get even bigger and better. But your former chairman, Mr Ogden, certainly started by hitting the ball out of the park and then working backwards, as it, as it were, insofar as not many fintechs off the top of my head are a clearing bank, which is about as hardcore FS as you can possibly get. It is. I mean, that's not some little app on your phone. You don't get to be a clearing bank in at all easily. Unsurprisingly, the first one in 200 years, Bank of England and absolutely everybody uh, is putting you through yeah. a, a hell of an obstacle course. So it is a phenomenal achievement to even have got to the starting line. And it is even more impressive to be going so well uh, a few years later. So I wish you and ClearBank every success in the future. Thank you, Mike, for having me on the show. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you are in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience and contacts in the worlds of both traditional FS and fintech, or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today, contact me at mike at mikeballiman.com. If you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman. We could sit in a vendor all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride Come away from the city But with the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so grey With the pain of the Mountains and the trees. Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fit in between the earth and the sky. Kiss the city goodbye. Wave the city goodbye. Wave 
Watch the firelight dance with me. Watch the firelight. 